the numerical growth of the church at Jerusalem is phenomenal, especially what the chapters just before this one showed. There are thousands of converts, and that incurred in spite of the things that had happened. For the council of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, had done its utmost to get rid of the apostles, but that proved impossible. Time and again, the Lord God intervened on their behalf by setting them free. Satan also tempted to weaken the church from within through the hypocritical and dishonest actions of Ananias and Sapphira, but also that failed. The Lord God literally stopped them dead in their tracks. And now here in chapter 6, we read that the disciples, that is the church, continued to increase in number. But there's a big problem. The unity of the church is once again being threatened. The Hellenists complained against the Hebrews that their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So a whole group was overlooked. They were not made to feel part of the church. It is obvious that the Apostles see this as a very serious problem. For what do they do? Well, they call the whole church together to deal with it. It may not happen in the church that there is discord. Satan would like nothing better than when that happens. For a divided church is a weak church. So let us see how the apostles, full of the Spirit of God, deal with these problems. And we see that they appoint deacons. But how exactly does that solve the problem? That's what I will preach to you about this morning. I will preach to you about the maintenance of the unity of the early church by the appointing of deacons. We will look at three things. First of all, the situation of the widows. Secondly, the choosing of the deacons. And then finally, the continued growth of the church. So then first, the situation with the widows. The text tells us that the Hellenists had a complaint against the Hebrews. Who are these people? Well, the Hellenists are Greek-speaking Jews. The second chapter of Acts introduces us to some of them in describing the events at Pentecost. We are told in chapter 2, verse 5 and following, that there are dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And then, follows a list of many nationalities. There are Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and many more from all over the empire. And we are told in that passage that they all have their own language. But what we are not told in that passage, that they also have the Greek language in culture, and culture in common with one another. The Greek culture and language function much like the English language and the American culture affects the Western world of today. Now, many devout Jews, which included those converted to Judaism, known as proselytes, had moved from the outlying countries into Jerusalem. And no doubt one of the main reasons was that now they could be close to the temple and in this way they could also partake of the temple worship. Those people have been brought up in the surrounding 
countries and later on in life moved from the diaspora to Jerusalem. When they originally moved to Jerusalem, they were Jews by religion, but then they were converted to Christianity. So that's the first group, the Hellenists. The text also mentions the second group, the Hebrews. That refers to those Jews who had always lived in Israel. They did not come from the surrounding regions. And they still knew the language of old Hebrew. And even though they too will have been affected by the Greek culture and language, they hung on to the traditions of their parents. Except, of course, that they too, at the time of Pentecost, had been converted to Christianity. Now, the text tells us that there is a conflict between those two groups. The Greek speakers complained that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. If you want to understand what the problem is, you have to first know what the distribution was about. The word that Luke uses, which is translated in the NIV and the ESV as distribution, is a Greek word with which you are already familiar. It is the Greek word diakonia. We get our word deacon from it. He speaks here about the daily diakonia. That same word is also used in verse 4, where Luke records that the apostles want to be able to devote themselves to the ministry of the word. It actually speaks there about the diakonia of the word. And for that reason, the King James Version uses virtually the same word twice. It speaks about the daily ministration in verse 1 and the ministry of the word in verse 4. But the ESV and the NIV use two different words to translate the word diaconia. But what exactly does that word mean? Originally, the word diaconia referred to the waiting at a table. And so a diakonos, a deacon, would refer to a waiter, someone who waits at table. That's the basic meaning of that word. Over time, this word received the extended meaning of serving in general. And that is why the text can also refer to the diaconia of the word, the service or the ministry of the word. In verse 1, the reference is more to the original meaning of the word. For what was happening in those days... Well, chapter 5 ends by informing the reader that every day in the temple from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So not only did they get together daily in the temple, but they did so in their homes as well. Evidently, after having had their get-together in the temple where the apostles would preach their message, they would also go to each other's homes where they would discuss further all the things they had heard from the apostles. They wanted to discuss further how the scriptures were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and what that all meant for them. That was a wonderful discovery. They wanted to know and know more and they wanted to discuss it and talk about it. And you can imagine that this will have been a wonderful and exciting time. A new 
era had begun. The Messiah has finally come. It was a tremendous stimulus for their spiritual life. And they wanted to know all the details. They were hungry to know more and more and to discuss these matters with each other. But you can't just sit and discuss all the time together, can you? There's also other needs. Man also needs physical food. Also, that aspect had to be looked after. And so, in the homes, they would also eat together. That's what we read, for example, in Acts 2, verse 46. It says there, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. But now, the question is, what is the problem with the widows in all this? In what way were they being overlooked in the distribution, the diaconia of the food and in the sharing of other material goods? Were the Greek widows not given any food or allowed to share in any of the other gifts? Were they not being looked after? That's what some commentators assert. They say that the problem was that some people received food and other people did not. At first glance, that seems to be the obvious answer. But let's look at this a little bit more closely. How likely do you think it would be that a certain group of widows would be overlooked when the people would gather together in their homes to discuss and to have meals together? Do you really think that some people would be served and others not? That's highly unlikely. But that is certainly not consistent with the flavor of that time either. As we know from the first few chapters, the early church was a, har- was a harmonious and caring community. Acts 2, verse 45 and 4, verse 35 clearly state that they shared everything and that there was no want. No one lacked anything. And in chapter 6, the author, Dr. Luke, is referring to that time for it says, in these days. So we're not talking about a later time and things had become more routine and when the first enthusiasm had begun to wane. No, the church was flourishing in every respect. What then was the situation with the widows? Well, let's take a look at the role that the widows played in those days. They had an important function. In Acts 9, verse 39 and following, for example, we read in connection about the raising of Tabitha that the widows made up a special class of people. They are mentioned there separately. It says there that all the widows stood beside Peter weeping and that they showed tunics and other garments which Tabitha had made while she was still alive. And once Tabitha had been raised from the dead, Luke informs us that he called the saints and the widows as he presented her alive. The widows are especially mentioned as a special group for they played an important role at the death of a loved one. They would take part in the mourning and in the funeral arrangements, etc. 
And when you read through 1 Timothy 5, you also know that the widows made up a special class of people who had an important function in the congregation in the service of all the saints. They were the ones who often would show hospitality and wash the feet of the saints. They were also given an important function in the homes where the people gathered and ate together. They would help see to it that everyone was looked after. And so, what now would appear to be the problem with the Greek widows who were being overlooked? It wasn't so that they were not given any food, but the problem was that they were not being made part of the diaconia, the work of service. And so, the way it all went, it didn't go all that smoothly when they got together. It was haphazard, and it wasn't well organized, the apostles, they were too busy with the preaching to make sure that it was equal sharing of the duties and the caring of the physical needs. And for some reason, the Greek-speaking widows, the Hellenists, were overlooked in extending aid. In other words, they were not asked to help along with the Hebrew widows, and they weren't happy about it. After all, are they not part of the communion of saints? They too wanted to be involved. It's not as if we have some ladies here feeling sorry for themselves that no one was serving them. No, it was actually quite the opposite. They too wanted to be involved in church life. And so what is the solution that the apostles propose? Well, they say let's appoint men who would organize the work of diaconia with regard to the tables so that we can be free to devote ourselves to the diaconia of the word. It's obvious that the organization concerning the work of service at the tables and the homes of the people was originally the responsibility of the twelve apostles. Otherwise, they would not refer to the fact that they should be able to devote all their time to the ministry of the word. Clearly, up to this time, their attention had been divided. They could not do both. They could not look after both aspects of the ministry And that is why they call the disciples together to propose that they pick out from among themselves seven men of good repute. They needed help. We come to the second point. Note well that the apostles do not pick these men themselves. No, they involve the whole congregation. They could have decided that themselves, for they did have that authority. After all, they are the apostles. They have been charged to establish churches. They had that command directly from Christ. After the death of the apostles, that would be different. The office of apostle would then cease to exist, along with the authority that goes with it. And then the authority would rest in the churches themselves, based on the word of God, which includes the instructions of the apostles as we find them in the New Testament. But nevertheless, they did involve the whole church, And no doubt they did so in order to teach them to be able to do things on their own. But also to teach them especially the service of unity. And that is why as much as possible the people needed to be involved. They had to be part of it. After all they had received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. They no longer walked in the flesh. They no longer did things according to their earthly desires with its resentments and anger 
and self-interests. No, they were a people dominated by the Holy Spirit who would choose men who would further the kingdom of God and who were not interested in advancing their own petty interests or that of others. They would be interested in men who showed themselves to be full of the Holy Spirit. For that reason that today we also involve the whole church in the election of office bearers. The church is involved in the nomination process and in the election itself. It promotes the unity of the church. And that's what the apostles were interested in. Seven men are chosen. Their names are mentioned in the text. Two of them we read more about later on in the book of Acts. Stephen is the first one we hear about right after this passage. He is the first martyr mentioned in the Bible for the Christian faith. And later on, we also read about Philip, who became known as Philip the Evangelist. Through him, the Ethiopian eunuch becomes converted to the Christian faith. In chapter 21, verse 8, we are reminded that he is one of the original seven. But now take note of the fact that with respect to these two men, there is no direct mentioning of them attending to the poor. No doubt that that was one of their duties, For after they are elected by the people, it is their responsibility that everyone is properly cared for. They had to make sure that those widows or widowers or others who are poor, that they too receive food and that they too can invite people over to their homes to eat and discuss and have fellowship together. But they had to do much more. They had to make sure that the whole church was involved in the work of ministry. Everyone is to be involved in church life. For everyone has a task in the communion of saints in accordance with their own abilities and shortcomings. For not everyone is able to speak and to pray in public and prophesy. No, as it says in Romans 12, and that's why I read it, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, etc. Everyone has a task. And the men who are appointed here must see to it that all the talents in the congregation are used. Brothers and sisters, do you know what happens when that is not done? Well, when everybody is kind of doing things on their own, well, it becomes a mess. When everybody is involved in the work of diaconia, of ministry, however, then the church flourishes. She will grow and grow. And there will be peace and harmony in the church and goodwill. That's the third point. The text says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. More and more people were converted. It's noteworthy that Luke twice within this same passage mentions the fact of the increase of the church. He begins the text by stating it and he ends with it. The incident with the widows did not harm the church. On the contrary. And that is because the apostles dealt with this matter openly and honestly. 
a problem was reported to them. And they did not ignore it, but they dealt with it. And they realized that they were part of the problem. Because of their human limitations, a certain group of people had been overlooked. They admitted, we're part of the problem. Let's do something about it. Let's appoint these seven men. In this way, the good fellowship within the church was maintained. And so, men in charge with the diaconia were appointed, not in order to do all the work themselves, but in order to organize the whole congregation for the work of service. And in this way, the unity in the church is maintained. This is very important for those who belong to Christ, for you and for me. When the apostles appoint these men for the diaconia, they appointed them for the whole church. They didn't appoint them for a certain group, some from this faction and others from another faction, one for Hellenists, another one for the Hebrews. No, the whole church is to be served by these seven men. They are chosen first and foremost to promote unity. The whole church has to learn to get along together. Only then do you have a healthy atmosphere for true growth. Factions promote slander and rivalry. And so, let me ask you, how are you involved in church life? Everybody is able to contribute in one way or the other, for each and every one of us has a unique talent. Many talents, actually. What is your talent? And how do you use that for the furtherance of the church? And those of you who are involved in church life, to what extent do you allow others to serve? In what way is everyone included in the works of service? And how is that promoted also by your council? Ask yourself, who is being left out in the communion of saints and why? What can I do in order to change that? How can I get everybody involved? Remember, these seven chosen men were in charge of the diaconia. The work of ministry was actually up to the people themselves. As I said, the original meaning of the word diaconia has to do with waiting on a table. It has to do with serving food. Now then, what does a waiter in a restaurant do? Well, a good waiter in a good restaurant will do everything to see to it that those whom he is to look after are as comfortable as can be. He makes sure that they have the best seat possible. He takes care of their coats, seats them at the table, lights their candle, fills up their glasses of water. In short, he is attentive to their every need. Why? Well, he wants them to go back, right? He also wants to increase the patronage to the restaurant. Satisfied customers come back and tell others about it. They also bring others with them to have them also enjoy the good food and the good atmosphere. For the waiter makes his living by them. And so while they are waiting for their food, he continues to look after them as best as he can. He watches to see if their cups are empty so that he can keep them filled. And he makes sure that the food prepared for them is presented to them so as to make the food taste and look as good as it can be. He doesn't serve junk food, 
and he wears a smile as he serves the food and exchanges pleasantries with his customers. He does everything possible to make sure that the experience is as pleasant as possible. Well, brothers and sisters, that's how it was in the early church with regard to the serving of spiritual food. That's why the church grew so quickly as well. They attracted members. More and more people wanted to come to such a wonderful fellowship. And that's also how each and every one of us is to serve spiritual food to one another. Let's ask ourselves. Do we make ourselves attractive to outsiders? Think about that. To make God's word attractive must first of all begin in the homes. That's where you teach your children how to serve that spiritual food. And they imitate you. Table manners are learned in the home. And in order to teach them, you and I must ask ourselves, how can I present God's spiritual food in such a way that it is most attractive to those who are in my church, for my wife and my children? And how do I do that in the communion of saints? How can I make God's word most attractive so that it becomes irresistible to those whom the Lord has placed on my path? For let's not forget, brothers and sisters, we have something absolutely wonderful to offer. Think about it. Can you imagine anything greater? We can tell one another about the eternal life with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We can offer one another the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. We can offer each other hope, eternal hope. How wonderful, how delectable, how delicious. What a rich meal. And there are so many delectable elements to that meal. There is so much of it that you will never ever grow tired of the spiritual food that you can offer one another. What a privilege it is to belong to the fellowship of believers. Think about how blessed you and I are. And brothers and sisters, when you present such a meal to each other, as you're supposed to do, make sure that you don't present it with some dirt. Suppose a waiter would take the good food the chef, the, the chef had cooked and he would serve it on a dirty plate. That would soon kill your appetite, wouldn't it? Well, what if you presented that spiritual food with your own dirty baggage? You present the gospel of Jesus Christ along with the grudges that you have against other people. You present it with a complaint you have against this brother or sister or that brother or sister. And at the same time, you present yourself as a Christian who has been bought by the blood of Christ, whose own sins have been forgiven. If that's what you do, then you bring God's word with dirt. That would make the actual spiritual food much less appetizing, wouldn't it? Or suppose you do your work of ministry with indifference or resentment even. That would not make others very excited about the gospel either, would it? Suppose that's what a waiter would do. The waiter presents the food while grumbling about all kinds of things. 
He tells you about how hard he has been working and how the boss doesn't treat him right and about all the other lazy employees and how he can't wait to get home and get a well-deserved rest. That wouldn't make the atmosphere very pleasant, would it? What if you did the same thing with your brothers and sisters? Do you tell them about how the one group in the congregation is treating the other group and about how you do a lot more than all the others? That doesn't promote good fellowship either, does it? Brothers and sisters, there are many impediments to true unity. And look at what Paul says to the Romans in the last part of chapter 12. I know we already read it together, but it's good to hear it again. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do you get a picture here of what it ought to be like in the church, of what the church of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to look like. Brothers and sisters, many of those elements are here in this church. I know that. There's very good fellowship. But we can do better. It's a wonderful thing to belong to the church of the Lord and to belong to each other. And in so doing, we teach one another and we help one another. Everybody, however, has to contribute. For you and I, we have been bought by the blood of Christ. And that makes us enormously rich. Why would you go back to the poverty of Satan who wants you to hand out anger and resentment? Be generous with the gift that God has given you. Do that, beloved, to your children, to your wife, to your husband, to the members in the congregation, and to everyone else with whom you come into contact. And then also through you, God's word will spread. And God's church will increase. And this church will continue to flourish. To God be the honor and glory. Amen.